Sin and misery are good and even great. That sounds absurd and even self-contradictory. But because of sin, grace. Because of misery, a deliverer. St. Augustine said in the fourth century, O Felix Coppa, O blessed fault, O blessed fault that Adam should sin and we have a savior. For where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. You see, the order of grace is first sin, then misery. And that is the order of our text. The context, David in chapters 27 through 29 had sinned grievously against the Lord. He had sinned grievously against the Lord. In 1 Samuel 30, the sins came calling. 1 Samuel 30 is misery, but then grace. And that is the order of the Christian life. Sin, we sin. Misery, the result. But then grace. Oh, Felix Copa. Oh, blessed fault. That's the title of my sermon this morning. Got to learn a little Latin this morning. Oh, Felix Copa, or better, oh, blessed fault. And with three points this morning, we want to explore this truth Three reasonable, important points that we get from this text. Misery, then grace. Or better, for us Heidelbergers, guilt, grace, gratitude. Those are three points we're going to explore this morning as we look at this text. Guilt, grace, gratitude. The order of the Christian life is guilt, grace, gratitude. A three-point sermon that explains the greatness of God's grace. And first things first, the guilt, verse 1. Now when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, now Ziklag is home. Ziklag was their home, but Ziklag wasn't home. Ziklag is in, Philist- is in the territory of the Philistines. David belongs to Judah, but he wasn't home. He was in sin. David belonged to the Lord, a man after God's own heart, the chosen prince of Israel, yet he was away from the Lord. In chapters 27 through 29, David sought the counsel of the wicked, stood in the way of sinners, and sat in the seat of scoffers. His delight was not in the law of the Lord. Chapters 27 through 29 are David's backsliding, his undoing, his sin. And so in chapter 30, we see the misery that comes on the hills of such sin. On the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev. If you remember with me, David had pursued or David raided against the Amalekites. And when David raided against the Amalekites, he put all of their women and children to death. A grievous sin. Why did he do it? Because he just wanted their possessions. He wanted what they had. He took over. He killed all of them, women and children included. 
grievously sinned against the Lord, and the Amalekites came calling to repay. And they made a raid against the Negev and against Ziklag, and they overcame Ziklag, and they burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. But they killed no one. That's an interesting parenthetical, as opposed to David. They weren't even quite as wicked as David. They killed no women or children as David, but they carried them off and they went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and daughters taken captive. And David and the people were with him, were raised their voices, they wept. They wept until they had no more strength to weep. And David lost his children and his wives as well. And it says, verse 6, and David was greatly distressed. That's misery. Misery is sin's companion and death is its wages. And we need to let the misery sink in. You need to know the misery. David and, and his men had been on the run since chapter 18. Since chapter 18, they've been on the run, dodging in and out of foxholes, being pursued by Saul. But they finally found rest, or they found peace with the enemy. They found peace with the Philistines. There was some comfort there. They had a home in Ziklag and so forth. And they were actually going to go out and fight against Yahweh and his people. But thankfully, the Lord, through his providence, saved David from himself, and they were sent home. And now they're on their way back home for some much-needed rest. And you can believe me that the morale, each step they got closer to home, the morale went up and up. The thoughts of the wife at home waiting by the door, the picture of the little ones running out to greet them and hugging their knees with love and hugs and kisses, a nice warm supper, and sleeping in your own bed that night. Ah, oh, the peace that's coming. We're going home. But they didn't find comfort at home. They found consequences. They found sin's companion and their loved ones and their worldly possessions gone. And the pain was so painful, they cried out and told there wasn't anything left within them. There was nothing left. I think some of you know this misery. You ever been this miserable? Numb, blank, dead inside. You've cried out and there's nothing left. But Christian, where there is misery, grace is not far behind. Oh, blessed fault. You see, Christ offers rest to the brokenhearted. He offers peace to those who are poor in spirit. Christ came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Oh, blessed fault. And the thought of vengeance mustered within these men enough energy to take it out on David. He was greatly distressed, it says, for the people spoke of stoning him. Because all the people were bitter in soul, for each of his sons and daughters were taken. David lost everything too, and now his men wanted more, and their grief turned to rage, and David was in great distress. He lost everything, and now they wanted him dead. And we know the phrase, right? Can it get any worse than this? Can it get any worse than this? You ever asked that? <laughs> Can it get any worse than this? First Samuel 30 says, yes. You reap what you sow. David had been a man of sin, and his companion came calling misery. Misery loves company. 
And the problem with misery is love. St. Augustine in the fourth century said, we love to sin. He remembers as a child stealing pears, and he reflects upon this in his book, The Confession, Stealing These Pears, and he asks the question, why did I steal these pears? Well, it wasn't because I was hungry, and it wasn't because I didn't have pears. I had a better pear tree at home, he says. The only reason he can muster for stealing those pears as a child was this. He loved to break God's law. We love to sin. We love to sin because it means we are in control. You see, sin answers the longing within us, the longing we've had since Adam, I can be like God. I can find comfort. I can be my own provision. I can be my own protection. I can be my own joy. But you're a cheap imitation of the real Sin is a cheap imitation, an artificial high that wears off quickly, so we need another hit. We need to sin again and again to keep up the delusion that I am God, I am in control. I have found comfort, body and soul, right here in me. But we are a poor substitute, and so our hearts remain restless. Guilt. Point one, guilt. But oh, blessed fault, for where sin increases, grace abounds all the more. Verse 6b. Been waiting for this verse. <laughs> Been waiting for this verse. David in sin, turning from the Lord. But finally, verse 6. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Finally. This is the moment the prodigal son eating at the pig's slop, eating, at, eating with the pigs, realizes his father has more food than ever. And perhaps the prodigal re remembers, maybe my father will give me, maybe I can eat scraps from my father's table. It's better eating scraps from his table than eating with these pigs. And perhaps he'll be kind enough, merciful enough, at least give me the scraps. So he turns to his father and he gives him everything. His father gives the son everything. Grace. David did not deserve the Lord. The wages of sin is death. But O Felix Culpa, but the grace, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It all began with misery. Because misery is the way to rest. And out of the ashes of sin and death comes your only comfort, body and soul, and life and in death and your faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. But the order first, guilt, then grace. Guilt, then grace. Grace, then peace. Oh, blessed fault. Love got us into this, and God so loved the world will get us out. Love of self got us into this, and God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son will get us out. You see, Christ died because we are miserable. God gave his son because of the misery. Oh, blessed fault. And where there is grace, faith is not far behind. I'm interested in this phrase, verse 6, strengthened himself in the Lord. I'm interested. How did he strengthen himself in the Lord? 
We know it wasn't the emotional outburst of chapter four, or verse four. You see, you can emote and cry tears of joy and still not strengthen yourself in the Lord because the strength of the Lord is not found in you. But the strengthening of the Lord it is found here in a personal pronoun. Notice this, underline this, but David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. His God. You see, strength was found in Yahweh. Yahweh our God, the Lord our God is one. Orthodox. Yes, we need orthodoxy. The Lord our God, the Lord our God is one. We need truth. We need a sure knowledge that all that God has revealed in his word is true. Jesus is the son of God. Yes, orthodox. But we need a hearty trust. It's Jesus is the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There's the strength. He died not only for others, but for me also, my God. We need truth, and it must be ours. And we receive this grace in no other way than by faith alone. You see, strengthening in the Lord comes by faith, and faith remembers God's promises. God's promise to never leave, forsake us. God's promise to save us, to never let us go. That in the misery, in the pain, in the trouble, God is there leading. Grace is mine. And it trusts that grace. And oh, Felix Culpa, right there in your life, oh, blessed fault, you should experience oh, Felix Culpa every day because every day in your life, you sin. So every day in your life, you are causing God to love you more and more. You're opening up the flood waters of grace every time you sin. Oh, blessed fault. And God shows more mercy. And God shows more compassion. And he loves you more and more. All because you sinned. Oh, Felix Culpa. God is faithful because I am faithless. My God. The strength was personal. But we also see the strength was prayerful. Verse 7, and David said to Abathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. So Debathar brought the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue after this band? And God says, go for it. You're going to take them all. And God, the Lord answered. That's the grace. The Lord answered. He reached out to the Lord. The Lord answered. And this is a text on worship right here. These verses... And you say to yourself, there goes Pastor Jared. He sees worship everywhere. He can make any verse about worship. It is my sixth sense. I see worship people. But it's here. Look at David. Who does David call upon? He calls upon the priest. The priest is the Old Testament ordained means of worship. You worship God through the priest. They were the means to worshiping God, and he called for the ephod, the ordained means of calling upon the Lord. This was acceptable worship with reverence and awe. David turned to the Lord in worship. And worship is the means of grace. Worship is God's means of strengthening us in the Lord, for faith comes by 
hearing. Faith comes by hearing. You see, we need Christ and we need his church. We are strengthened in the Lord through the word and the sacraments. We're found strong in Christ through the ministry of the word. Worship is misery's undoing because it is a feast of grace. And whenever you feel down because of sin, whenever you feel down because of misery, remember, dear Christian, Sunday's coming. Oh, blessed fault. Sunday's coming. Lord's Day. Grace and mercy, deliverance, salvation, the word of God. So God promised deliverance, and so David set out under the word of the Lord. And some of the men were too weary. We read about it. Some of the men were too weary to go on, so they leave them there, and they head out into the Egyptian wilderness, into the desert, open country. And they found an Egyptian, it says, verse 11. They found an Egyptian in open country, which is nice because you have to remember, David and his men, they don't know who sacked them. They don't know who burned the Ziklag. They don't know who took the women and children. We know. They didn't know. They're heading out. They're just as lost in the open country. They have nowhere. They don't know where to go. They're out. They know they probably went this way. They go out in the open country. They're out in the desert searching for clues, and it just so happened. What a wonderful find. They found the man they needed right then and there, and they gave him food, hospitality. He eats. He revives himself, and then he tells them, I'm the guy. (laughs) It just so happens. You're in luck. I know who took your women and children. I know where to go. But there is no such thing as luck. This is God's grace. This is grace. And grace hands David his enemy, verse 16. And when they had taken him down, the man take it, takes David down, took David down. And behold, they see the enemy. They're spread abroad in the land. They're not ready for battle. It's perfect. They're eating and drinking and dancing. Because all of the great spoil they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. And the Lord delivered them to David. And David, verse 17, struck them down from twilight till evening. And not a man escaped except for 400. And verse 18, and David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken. And David rescued his two wives. He got his wives back. Verse 19, so important, nothing was missing. The Lord provided, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything had been taken. David brought back everything. He got everything. Isn't God's grace wonderful? God is restoring David. He's restoring his family. But grace is greater than that. Verse 20, David also captured all the flocks and herds of the people. That is, they raided a lot of places. They had a lot of spoil. And so David got even more. You see, David... David wouldn't have been here if it wasn't for his sin. He sinned greatly against the Lord, but then grace. He got more. You see, because where sin increases, grace abounds all the more. He got more. Do you see that? All because of his sin. Oh, blessed fault. David was blessed more than ever because of guilt, then grace. Guilt, then grace. But not all were happy with grace. This is even true today. There are many who prefer works over grace like these worthless fellows, verse 21 and 22. 
22 says, then these wicked and worthless fellows among the men who had gone with David said, because these guys didn't go out, those who rested, because they didn't go out with us, we will not give them any spoil that we have recovered, except each man can have his wife and his child and, and, and go away. Now, these men preferred the works principle. We did the work, we get the blessing. They didn't do the work, they get nothing. Yet David was guided by another principle, verse 23, but David said, you shall not do so, my brothers. Why? Grace. With what the Lord has given us, he has preserved us and given into our hand the band that came against us. Notice what David says here. The Lord gave, the Lord provided, the Lord preserved. This is the doctrines of grace. Grace greater than our sin. You see, David here is the original Augustinian. He's, the, he's an original Augustinian. And these men were original Pelagians. You see, Pelagians work. Pelagians recover. It's their effort. Thus, their salvation and blessing. And if you fail at any point, no blessed fault. You got to strive, keep going, do more, work harder, keep going. You're almost there. You've almost made it. You're almost there. Keep, keep going, keep striving. Ah, failure, misery forever. But grace says it's a gift of God, not of works, so no man can boast. But then you, we all have a little Arminian in our hearts. You say, but what if I continue to sin my whole life long? What if I struggle and continue to fall? You say, oh, blessed fault. For where sin increased, grace abounds all the more. Oh, blessed fault, more like a license to sin, says the Pelagian. If we're saved by grace through Christ without any merit of our own, why would we ever want to keep the law? Sounds like lawlessness to me. And we say it's not because of the order of things. Guilt, grace, gratitude. And in the end, it's all about love. And love transforms. Verse 26, when David came to Ziklag, he sent part of the spoil to his friends, the elders of Judah, saying, here is a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of God. This is a theology of gratitude, our third point, gratitude. David knew his sin. He experienced his misery and the grace of God. He saw his deliverer and God delivered mightily. God delivered greater than he could ever imagine. And it transforms him. That is the gospel transforms. The gospel of grace alone. And now this man who once fought against Yahweh is now fighting against the enemies of the Lord. This is a present from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. David, who was about to attack Yahweh's people, has been transformed. Now he attacks, attacks Yahweh's enemies. And David, who was about to go against Yahweh's people and put to death the Israelites, is now a man transformed who blesses Israel with gifts. 
He's a man transformed by grace that's greater than our sin. Oh, blessed fault. This is the life of gratitude. Grace, or excuse me, guilt, grace, gratitude. David, a man of sin and misery, was transformed by grace, and grace is the law of law, law of love. You see, some think the doctrines of grace lead to lawlessness. But grace only makes us fall more and more and more in love with our Savior. And we begin to hate our sins more and more, and we turn from them. And God's grace, his love, leads us to a life of good works, works of gratitude. The difference between grace and works is the difference between worship and idolatry. Listen, the difference between grace and works is the difference between worship and idolatry. The man who says to himself, I got this. I got this. Oh, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like this sinner. He is one who has not experienced grace. But his comfort is in himself. And idolatry is the certain result of self-sufficiency. Idolatry is the certain result of self-sufficiency. I can do it. I can do my part. But the man who beats his chest, have mercy on me, a sinner, is the man who knows that Christ is the blessed man whose delight is in the law of the Lord and Christ meditated on it day and night and he is your righteousness. Christ obeyed the law perfectly. You see, the way of righteousness is found in Christ alone. The way of righteousness is found in Christ alone and the way to righteousness is found in Christ alone. You see, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And when you keep your eye on God's gift, when we keep our eye on God's gifts, and the, cert- a certain, the certain result is worship. And we praise God from whom all blessings flow. And then we're found on our knees, adoring, praising, and thanking our God our whole life long. The only thing that will keep you from worshiping yourself The only thing that will keep you from worshiping yourself is grace alone. For our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. O blessed fault has saved a sinner like me. At Covenant Reformed Church in Missoula, Montana, we sincerely believe God's Word and faithfully teach it. We invite you to worship with us on Sundays. For more information, please visit MissoulaURC.com. That's MissoulaURC.com.